I mention them because apart from all their other gifts, they were in particular great men of prayer. And Brian has some of uh, uh, Gerald's early diaries from the 1940s. They resonate with prayerful confidence in God's ability to rebuild that little church. And he did. Or um, Harold Poyser. Harold was in the habit of uh, praying through the whole of the Magdalen Road prayer list every day. He took advantage of the fact that he needed less sleep in his older years. He would rise in the small hours and pray until dawn. And Roy was one of those utterly disciplined um, men. Every morning he read his Bible. Every morning he prayed without fail. And today they are all in glory. But how much do we owe to them? And I wonder, do we as a church today pray as well as they did? Uh, There is no doubt in my mind that we're stronger in some aspects of our church life. I think it is fair to say that overall we are probably more biblically literate as a church. In many ways we are more engaged with our community. We mirror its multiculturalism and its youth and its educational range. And there are certainly just, just more of us. But is there a real commitment to prayer? A survey carried out a few years ago in, uh, uh, in Britain made sobering reading. It uh, discovered that the average church attender, and these were people who were prepared to fill in a form about their prayer lives, and the average one of those prayed for, on average, only four minutes a day. Their ministers prayed for seven minutes a day. And when we hear a statistic like that, we sort of breathe a slight sly relief, don't we? Oh, well, at least I'm not that bad, or, or, uh, or whatever. But it could be that one of the key reasons for the weakness of God's church in this country is precisely there. That God's people pray so little. Do we really want to be like an average church? If our, if our prayer life is weak, then, why might that be? Don Carson, in that book, that uh, I would encourage as many as possible of you as, as can to, to get hold of, um, A Call to Spiritual Reformation, he, he um, um, uh, suggests that one simple reason is that we don't plan to pray. Is there a fixed point in our routine, uh, our daily routine, which is actually set aside for Bible reading uh, and prayer? Or do we just think, well, well, we'll do it when we have a moment, and of course that moment never comes. Distraction, actually, is by far the biggest reported reason why people uh, uh, don't pray. I, I, I combat distraction with various things. I have a, I have a prayer list to pray of people I pray for daily and weekly and uh, monthly. I've developed the habit of, of always jotting down some key points from the Bible passage that I'm reading and, and focusing on praying through those. I, 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 it 
focus is meant to, to, to be writing some, uh, uh, something down. Some people read hymns and pray through the hymns. Um, more recently I was given a book, excellent little book, which um, by tonight I hope we'll have a link to, uh, and you can buy it at, uh, from Amazon, by Martin Luther, written nearly 500 years ago, A Simple Way to Pray. Uh, an excellent little book to uh, encourage us in prayer and to encourage us especially not to be distracted. There are a million to one reasons why we may not pray. Most of us, I suspect, are activists. I, I um, from time to time, take um, a, a, a significant amount of time out in a, in a day, perhaps a whole day, to pray and meditate. I have to struggle with myself not to feel guilty about that because I'm not doing anything. Apart from the fact that, especially me of all people, part of my, my, my principal role is the ministry of the word and prayer, says the Bible. So if I'm struggling, I can imagine that others uh, um, struggle too. I want to focus though, just, just this morning, on a couple of reasons why we may not pray or a couple of reasons why we should and can pray, perhaps, that uh, come up in this uh, um, introduction into Thessalonians. First of these is this. Confidence. We can pray, says the Apostle Paul, indeed we ought to pray, because we are confident that God is working. That God is working now, first of all, he says in verses uh, 3 and 4 in particular. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more. The love every one of you has for each other is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are uh, enduring. He feels an obligation to thank God because he sees their faith growing more and more. He sees their love for one another increasing, he says. He sees them persevering and enduring through considerable difficulty. We have to be frank about this. An awful lot of the time, for an awful lot of us, doesn't particularly excite us. We may pray because someone we love is sick. We may pray when our job is threatened. We may pray for an easier life under difficulties. But um, uh, rejoicing with God when our faith or someone else's faith grows when our love increases and we we, we see the evidence of believers loving in a more sacrificially committed way, of rejoicing when someone endures through difficult circumstances, perhaps not having those circumstances removed, but their faith surviving through that really tough time. Does that prompt us to pray? Do we rush to our knees to thank God? We just don't really care about the things that God really cares about. 
we care about having an easy life, so we pray for that. We care about um, uh, uh, a bit more money or a bit more security, a few more friends or whatever, so we pray about that. But what moved Paul to pray was that he saw Christians growing, was that he saw love increasing, was that he saw faith surviving terrible difficulties. And if uh, um, we hesitate about really caring about that, in fact, Often, commonly, I find people who don't really believe that that is happening. They've lost confidence that God is working. They only see struggle and failure. Let me say, honestly, I would love to see God working more powerfully, as I'm sure the Apostle Paul would have done. I would love to see our, our faith um, becoming uh, um, magnificently mature, our love becoming so sacrificial it was barely different from the uh, sacrificial love of Christ, our endurance being so joyful that whatever uh, Satan throws at us, we, uh, we, we sail through it. I would, I would love to see that and sometimes there is real pain and disappointment as we see uh, uh, um, the, the frustrations in this world. But let's not believe God is not working at all. In the first century there were some of the same difficulties as well. And we see that written throughout the New Testament. But Paul has enough perspective to have a heart that is always thanking God, always rejoicing, because he can see God working. Now, let me me say to you, don't close your eyes to the real work of God there is amongst us and amongst evangelical churches in in this country. It is, frankly, a miracle that the best part of a hundred people regularly gather here to sing and pray and learn from the Bible and enjoy being together. It is a miracle that those people pay two people's wages. Make no mistake about it. The outside world sees that miracle. Over the last few years, I've met a few distinctly hostile observers of, 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 uh, of this church. And I've noticed something. They are convinced that I possess some dangerous, mystical, charismatic power which enthralls you. They have a much higher view of my gifts than any one of us in this room. See, I know that should I disappear, should this church cease to function, you will still want to worship God. You will find another community to worship Him in if this one falls apart. Not my gift. It's the work of God that gathers people here. 
And that's a miracle. The world around sees it. Uh, nationally as well. Have you noticed the increasingly shrill way in which evangelicals are na- labelled as dangerous fundamentalists or even the Christian Taliban? Where in fact modern day Christians are only following the, the mainstream Christian beliefs that have been followed for the last 2,000 years. The, the, the reason those people are getting so hysterical is because they see the power of authentic Christianity in this country. It threatens their comfortable uh, assurance that Christianity is simply a dying faith that will soon give way to the overwhelming power of secularism. God is at work. I see him as wo- at work as people show love to people whom otherwise they wouldn't barely think, uh, think a second thought about in the street. I see him at work as people apologise when they have hurt other people. I see him at work as people who struggle deeply with real problems nevertheless still find they have a faith which encourages and nurtures them and brings them through. We ought always to thank God, says Paul. Those things ought to excite us more than anything else and those things, he says, we ought to see and rejoice in. Confidence that God is working now is a foundation for prayer. Rejoicing in prayer. And confidence that God will work in the future. That's uh, spelled out in verses 5 to 10. All this, that is, the evidence of God working now, all this is evidence that God's judgment is right and as a result you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. God is just, he will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels, he said. We can't look at all of those verses in detail. We must just just notice that um, the promises God gives us about our eternal destiny, about our future glory, about the satisfaction and delight that we will uh, enjoy in eternity are solid, certain promises. And the warnings he gives to those who reject God and reject Jesus Christ that one day that will get eternally hardened in hell are similarly certain. We must be in no doubt that what is being played out in our world, in our lives, is a great drama If life was only about food and drink and clothes and homes and sex, then we might uh, pray just a little bit when we were worried about one of those things. But actually life is about judgment or vindication, about heaven or hell, life or death, joy or agony, 
And as the Apostle says in uh, verse 11, with this in mind we constantly pray for you. Confidence, you see, that God is at work now and will complete his work in eternity. It's a vital foundation for prayer. I find, frankly, one of the key reasons why people uh, stop praying is that they lose confidence that God really is at work. Open your eyes. He is. Second great um, uh, element that drives us to prayer, I want to describe as hunger. If confidence is a foundation for prayer, then hunger is a stimulus for prayer. Hunger for Christ-likeness, for instance. Did you see verse 11? With this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may count you worthy of his calling. Back in verse 5, actually, Paul has expressed confidence that they will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God. But now he's praying constantly for it too. There is no contradiction between those two things. God wants us in prayer to be caught up into his great work. He wants us to yearn for what he yearns for. He wants us to be hungry for what he is hungry for. His great project in the lives of Christians is to conform us to the likeness of Christ. He chose us for heaven, now he is preparing us for heaven. We will not be made worthy of, uh, of our calling in, a, in an absolute way. We will always need God's free forgiveness to get us into, uh, into heaven. But we can be made worthy, basically acceptable to be called followers of Christ. And Paul is hungry for that. Because God is hungry for it. Are you? I wonder, do the, do the failures of other Christians leave you resentful? Condemning? Proud? Dismissive? See, the, the failures of, uh, of others ought to drive us to our knees to pray for that person. But that person would overcome that weakness and failure and be presented more Christ-like. Let me give you a challenge never to say a negative thing about another Christian so you've prayed for them for a week every day but God will help them Paul constantly prays 
that God will be shaping them. And he was hungry as well for what I can only describe as success. English people are a little bit wary of that, but let me read it to you. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may count you worthy of his calling and that by his power he may fulfil every good purpose of yours and every act prompted by your faith. There is a qualification in what Paul says. He prays that only that their good purposes, or probably better, their good desires will be fulfilled. He prays that their acts prompted by faith will be fulfilled. Not every desire or every act of Christians is to be empowered by God. Frankly, we are still sinners. Sometimes our desires are warped. Sometimes our acts are prompted by more base driving forces than faith itself. And Paul is clear that he wants God to filter our desires and acts. And only uh, endorse and empower the good, faith-based ones. But he is also clear here that he prays ambitiously for the fulfilment of their desires, for the empowerment of their actions. God, uh, Paul prays for God to fulfil every good purpose. Did you see that? Every act empowered by faith. God encourages us to be ambitious for his glory. In, a, in, a, in actually a gloriously free way. It reminds me of um, um, way back in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve are, uh, are formed and placed in a region where we are told there was uh, gold and aromatic resin and onyx and all kinds of, of trees with uh, uh, fruit to enjoy. A thousand and one good things to explore and find and enjoy. And, uh, and so, as Christians, God gives us that glorious liberty. A whole panoply of good things. A whole panoply of acts of faith that we could be engaged in. And Paul says, I'm praying that every single one of them, God would fulfil and empower. He prayed that our our uh, desire to do a, a good job at work for Christ would be fulfilled. That our desire to love our family better would be fulfilled. Our desire to speak to a friend about Christ would be fulfilled. He prayed uh, that our decision, our action, not to upgrade the car but to use the money for something, uh, uh, something better would enrich us. He prays that our decision to go and spend a bit of time with that lonely person would be richly rewarded. He prays that our decision not to shout for our rights at work, but just to get on and humbly serve Christ, would pay dividends. He prays that our commitment to pray regularly for a particular person would be honoured by God. All sorts of things. If they are good and they are prompted by faith in Christ, he says... Let God say Amen to it, because I do. What would he be praying for us as a, as a church, corporately, do you think? Is it a, a good desire to own the bingo hall that uh, numbers of people um, uh, looked around yesterday afternoon and were praying for? Is it uh, an act prompted by faith to explore buying it? Well, 
there are unambiguously good desires associated with it, aren't there? The good desire to long to see people reach for Christ, the good desire to be better equipped to uh, serve our community. And God in his time will show us whether uh, the outworking of those good desires requires the bingo and we just heard this morning haven't we about about feeding of the 5,000 what a great thing what a good thing to be involved in what a what a wonderful expression of the unity of Christ's body to to, uh, reach out to people in Bond Square and share uh, a burger and the gospel with them Paul says I pray that every good desire every act of faith will be prospered. Are we praying that way? There are good things as numerous as the fruit trees in the Garden of Eden to be enjoyed. Let's pray for them. And uh, a third element of that hunger. Paul shows he has a real hunger for glory. Verse 12. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, Lord Jesus, may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. First he's praying that Christ would be glorified in these believers. God's ultimate purpose in the whole of eternity is himself to be glorified. Not because he's some uh, despot, but because his glory is the great completing, all-satisfying purpose for his creation. He says in Isaiah 42 verse 8, I am the Lord, that is my name, I will not give my glory to another. But Paul says there's something else that happens as we seek for Christ to be glorified, for Christ's reputation to be magnified in this world. We get glorified too. You see? That the Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him. Paul's quite unabashed. He is hungry for that glory. He is hungry for that glory on behalf of those he's praying for. This is not what the old divines used to call vain glory, the, the exaltation of ourselves and making ourselves look great. That, that, that is like the glory of the emperor who had no clothes. It is shameful. This is the true glory for which we were made the glory of being associated with the exalted Christ. The glory of being called Christians, Christ's ones. The glory of uh, having people note, that they noted of the early disciples, that they had been with Jesus. 
as a story, an old, an old story actually from St. Ebbs that I've heard in slightly different forms in various moments, but um, I'll give you a paraphrase of it. When St. Ebbs was much, much smaller, there was um, some old ladies used to sit at the back with a great gulf of empty pews between them and the, uh, the small congregation. And when urged to move forward, the answer was, I'm praying that these pews would be filled. How God has answered that prayer. He would never have answered it if it was a prayer simply for the glory of some people. But he abundantly answers prayers that Christ would be glorified. And there is a wonderful flip side to that. Those who are associated with Christ find themselves taken up in that glory as well. Enjoying the most exalted status they could ever have. Adopted sons and daughters. Are you confident? Are you hungry? Then we'll pray.